0: Hello, everyone. I am Matt Williamson, two-parter today as usual, but we're going to do the first half, wrapping up Rams, some final observations, and then I'm going to introduce you to the Jaguars in the second one. It's a good midweek thing to do, I thought. Um, let's just start with this fact. The Steelers are 8-2 and two in their last 10 games. Eight wins, two losses. I urge you not to lose sight of that. I do at times. I mean, you watch this offense and aspects of this team, and it's frustrating. But they've won eight of their last 10. That's not coaching change stuff, folks. (laughs) I mean, is it smoke and mirrors? I don't know. Uh, I mean, some teams, if it was like this, I would say, boy, that's probably smoke and mirrors. But Tomlin's track record, the nature of this organization, I know those are things you can't really put your finger on. It's just kind of what they do. But anyway, I urge you, it'll probably be out by the time you listen to this, Um, my article this week kind of hovers around that and it starts with this as well. The Steelers are plus six in turnover ratio, but when you factor in field goals missed and fourth down conversion rate, both of which they are plus three in, the Steelers are now plus 12 in what I call my turnover ratio, Matt's turnover ratio, whatever. And every offseason I go through and I calculate this, I don't do it week to week. And here's a real quick synopsis. I mean, I've told you this before, a missed field goal is a turnover. You hand the ball to the other team, often at midfield, seven yards past the line of scrimmage. I mean, if Ben Roethlisberger would have taken a seven-yard sack on third and two the play before – and the ball pops out and Terrell Suggs falls on it. Why is that different than Gary Anderson missing one from the same spot? Same with fourth down conversion rate. Hey, I'm not choosing to punt. I'm choosing to go for it. And I fumble. Why is that different than on the play before? You hand the ball to Jerome Bettis. He smashes into the line of scrimmage. Ball pops out and they fall on, on the line of scrimmage. So many people in the coaching and you know scouting community consider these things turnovers. The Sears are plus 12. So go check out my article. Those two things go hand in hand. All in all, I thought the offensive line played quite well. Dan Moore was really surprisingly good. A couple notes not to detract from their performance. But the Rams edge guys are pretty bad. I mean, they just are. They're maybe the worst edge group in the league. But Moore was really good. Um, they did let Salamalu, Siamalu handle Donald one-on-one more than I would have guessed, and he held up quite well. They moved Donald around on the defensive line a lot, and I didn't see more than a snap or two of him lined up over Dan Moore, which I thought was surprising and something they probably should have done. Let's talk about Darnell Washington. In this game... Hopefully not going forward, but please pay attention. You know, No Fryermouth in the mix is why I'm bringing this up. He really is a tell. I mean, when he was out there, they ran the ball, basically. He doesn't run any routes. He's basically a glorified tackle at this point. They don't throw him the football. But when he's out there in any personnel grouping, at least in this game, first game with Friermuth on the IR, it was a very, very, very high percentage of runs. So keep an eye on that. Hopefully that doesn't keep up i can promise you the jags even without listening to this podcast are aware um i thought they really did a good job of picking on the rams outside corners whether i know a lot of you are aware of the pro football focus witherspoon um good grade well he wasn't good in this game i mean he looked like they picked on him without any hesitation did a really good job attacking those corners outside. I would have liked to see more middle of the field passing, but that doesn't detract from what they accomplished against those outside corners of the Rams. I guess while we're talking former Steelers, um, Dotson, the guard, he does have a very good pro football focus grade coming into this game, and he played well. So maybe he's better as a Ram than he was a Steeler. I never thought he was terrible here. But he's been a success story for the Rams, which I you could take as, boy, the Steelers are idiots, why would they get rid of him? Um, I wouldn't go that far. I thought he was an obvious trade candidate at the time. I was impressed with the rookie defenders. Herbig, everyone remembers his sack. Great energy guy. Benton, again, had a real strong performance. I would still like to see his snap counts increase. Can't wait to see him next to Cam Hayward at times. And I thought Porter was their best corner. So, future's bright with this draft class, especially the defenders from this game. You know, I kind of mentioned Washington. Jones didn't play on offense. But those three, Porter, Benton, Herbig, I thought all performed quite well. Um, speaking of the secondary, I think it's time to replace Sullivan. Uh, and they kind of did. We'll get to – he only played 22 snaps. I'll get to snap counts here in a second. I wish they could replace Wallace – but Porter can only do one thing you can't do can't be two starters. So I think it's going to be Porter and Wallace on the outside. Peterson in the slot, give or take. Hopefully to me, that's your best usage of corners. So defensive snaps, 68 possible snaps. Minka played them all. KZ played 58 and Neil played only 17. So much different than usual. Those two were not in any sort of rotation. They played a lot of nickel with five defensive backs on the field instead of six, and that directly hurt Neal's snap count without question. So KZ got the bump over Neal clearly makes sense. He means a better player. But speaking of corners, Peterson played 67 out of 68, but was moved around Porter played 53. Pretty good. Wallace played 49. Sullivan played 22. Pierre was out there for two, which I didn't notice on first blush. The linebacker rotation was also a little different in this game. Again, a lot of nickel, a lot of two linebackers on the field, but it was Holcomb and Alexander out there. Holcomb played 56, did leave for for a brief stint with an injury. Sounds like he's fine. Alexander played 47. Roberts only played 19. So a real high percentage of three corners, Minka, KZ, Holcomb, Alexander as your back seven in this game. This game specific. On the edge, Watt played 57. Highsmith played 53. Golden for 14. Herbig for 12. Great ratio. Perfect. Love it. The D-line, Joby led the way with 49. Adams had 46. It's amazing he logs as many snaps as he does. He's a big nose type, but he plays well. Liao, 23. Benton only 19. I want to get to the bottom of that. I would like that number to be 30, 40. Watts, 17. And quietly, for two weeks in a row, two games in a row, Watts has really contributed well with, you know, you know, 15 to 20 snaps, 17 in this game. But keep an eye on him. I mean, he's an easy guy just to brush off, but he's been a good player of late. Um. This was interesting to me as well. The Steelers funneled first read targets, which I don't cite that stat a lot because I'm not sure whoever's charting it is 100% dead on. And basically what they're doing is where does the quarterback look first? But 70% of the first read targets were to Pickens and Johnson. And if you look at the target share that reflects that, that's why I brought it up, that they really went out of their way, back to what I was saying about attacking the outside corners. In the passing game, they wanted the ball to go to Johnson and Pickens, kind of like the Rams do with Nakua and Cup. Their playoff odds went up 10% after this win. And that also has to do with, you know, the Bills lost and things like that. Chargers lost. But they're up to 56% chance of making the playoffs right now, you know, and that factors in who they play in the future, et cetera, et cetera. Again, not exact, but I mean, I'm citing this from somebody else. Only the Falcons chances increased more this weekend. And Atlanta won a division game in a bad division. So that makes sense. So they went up 10%. Uh, Quick break. I will be back in a moment to tell you about the Jacksonville Jags. All right, some real basic stuff here about the Jags. They've yet to lose a road game, although one of their road games was in London. Um, they're on a four-game winning streak and the, after, their, after beating New Orleans on Thursday night. So that game was played on October 19th, and then they have a bye week after the Steelers game. So they're going to play one game between October 20th and November 11th, before they take on San Francisco on November 12th. Kind of a strange anomaly to their schedule. I don't know if that's good or bad for the Steelers. The Steelers are the only game that they play between October 20th and November 11th. I don't know how to take that for the Steelers side of things. Does that mean they could overlook it? Or does that mean they're well-rested? Probably means nothing, but I just found it interesting. Meanwhile, this is the first of three straight home games for the Steelers. Who have won two in a row and 11 of their last 15. Pittsburgh only has one home loss this season. Strangely enough, the Steelers don't play a game outside of Pittsburgh or Ohio in their next seven games. Think about that. I mean, they're only going to, their only road trips are division foes, Browns and Bengals, or their home. I mean, they're all close in the next seven games. Some weird schedule stuff here. Jags are plus 27 in point differential. Steelers are minus 24. They've played one fewer game than the Steelers. Um, So traditional turnover ratio, you know, just not including field goals and missed and fourth down conversions. Jacksonville and the Steelers are both plus six. Tampa's the only team better in the league. The Jags' 16 takeaways lead the NFL They lead the league in fumble recoveries and only San Francisco has more interceptions. Only the Texans have thrown fewer interceptions than the Jags, but only the Vikings have lost more fumbles. Okay. Steelers only turned the ball over six times. Only three teams are better. Just five teams have lost fewer fumbles than the Steelers. On average Jags time of possessions, just over 31 minutes Steelers is just over 27 minutes. Huge discrepancy. The Steelers have produced 87 first downs compared to 123 by their opponents. (laughs) So Steelers have allowed their opponents to produce 123 first downs. They've only produced 87. Yet they have a winning record. Steelers opponents have 36 more rushing attempts than the Steelers this year, but 366 more rushing yards. Their opponents have 1.4 more yards per carry. Jacksonville, meanwhile, has run the ball 49 more times than their opponents. The Steelers' opponents have also run 61 more plays for 649 more yards than Pittsburgh has produced on offense. Jacksonville's opponents have been penalized 47 times for 443 yards, while the Jags have committed just 33 penalties for 242 yards. Huge discrepancy in their favor. They've gained 10 more first downs via penalty than their opponent. So, over the course of the year, they've been granted a first down via penalty 10 times more than they've given it up, or 10 more times than they've given it up. Steelers are also good here. They're plus 15.2 yards per game in the goods column, even though they lost the penalty yardage battle last week by 36 yards. Some dumb stuff, obviously. But they are still, per game, gaining a little over 15 yards per game via penalty. So, that's very good. Hidden Yardage. Go check out my article. It'll explain some of that even more. Over and out.